Hello. Good evening, hello. everyone. Hello. 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 Welcome to Pencil to Pencil Podcast. Meow, 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 meow. That's my air horn noise. <laughs> uh, you are. Mike, did you freeze? I think oh. I froze. Well, I was freezing already. Uh, I don't know right. what's going on. Uh, you're, you're back. That's good. Uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Uh, we're back. Um, if you have been following us for the past week or two or three, um, you're noticing that the Pencil to Pencil podcast runs on Wednesdays and weekends. I like I like uh, the way that sounds. Is that an alliteration almost? Like Peter Parker or Betty Brandt? Weekends and we or Mike Manley or Mike Manley and I messed it up. I'm Jamar Nicholas. Uh, uh, wah, wah. <laughs> and I got it. Or right. you could be Jolly. You could be Jolly Jamar. Jolly Jopa Jehoshaphat. Jamar Nicholas. That's what. That's what Stan would call you, the Jolly Jamar. <laughs> Your name will be <laughs> Janitorial Jamar Nicholas. Now go clean the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't Stan. know. I don't know if Stan, you think Stan would have liked like me. Yeah, sure. He would have. He would have liked the cut of your jib. <laughs> What's your name again? <laughs> Jamar Nicholas. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> bring my car around. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, you guys are uh, watching the Pencil to Pencil podcast weekend edition. Uh, I am your co-host with the co-most, Jamar Nicholas. I'm uh, joined again by my best bud, Mike Manley. Say hey, Mike. I'm Koki Roberts. <laughs> Koki Roberts. And this, <laughs> this, is, this is 2020. <laughs> good evening, everybody. I hope you've had a uh, good uh, virus-free weekend. Oh yeah, I could talk about that. You like, were just out of the virus, right? Yeah, <laughs> the virus. I was in the Matrix. Um, yeah, I just uh, the reason we're late and sorry about that is that um, I had to thread the needle and try to pick up dinner, uh, which almost didn't happen because now you know we live in a world where it's either curbside or delivery. The delivery, I missed the window for that, so I had to go get it. And it was crazy, man. It's like Mad Max out there. Well, I um, guess it's the holiday, too. So I suppose right. more people are ordering. And yeah. it's prime ordering time, like after six or seven. I noticed, actually, a lot of the places that I would order at Grubhub, mm -hmm. like 8 o'clock, they're done. They're closed. Yeah, I didn't know that until I, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that the last, the, uh, the last week that by usually, like, a lot of the places you could order till 10, some even 11. Yeah. Eight o'clock, they're done. They're not doing anything after that. Yeah. Like I tried to put an order in. And mind you, this is like my cheat day. Like we like cook every every day of the week and just like, you know what, let's just get a burger. And <laughs> like the wheels just fell off after that. <laughs> so I wound up texting Mike in my car, like, yeah, I'm still in this to go pick up lot. I think I, I think we're gonna Protecting have to wait. temperature. I'm sorry, men with men with the masks are taking me. Yeah, everybody's got masks on. It's like, should I? I have my own pin. I don't want to use the pin that you gave me to sign the the credit card slip with. You know, it's. Oh, are they still God. making you sign the credit card slip? Yeah. Well, you know, like I tried to order online, 
and then like the whatever the the, the algorithm said that they were closed, so I had to call, and then they're like, "Yeah, we're open." Oh, let, you know, we should probably call the people. I'm like, "Can I just order while I'm talking to the human?" Oh, yeah, I guess we could do that. You know, it's just like a mess. So I had to pay when I got there, and then you know, the server was just like holding my card like this and <laughs> running back into the building. You're all like, sweaty <laughs> by the time you get there. He's got the. He's got. He's got it. And I got to say that, you know, if you have glasses and you're wearing these masks, it's not, you know, you get all fogged up. Yeah, you're all fogged. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, you know, everybody's healthy and, you know, I get to tell a funny story. But so, yeah, that's why we're late. But um, I'm glad you're with us tonight. Uh, as always, um, Pencil to Pencil is sponsored by our good friends at Graphicsly, um, right at the top. who produce... Top. At the join, as I call it, in the coffee yeah. break. See, read the join up there. Uh, uh, Clip Studio Paint. When we are running a contest right now on our uh, pencil to pencil Facebook page, where if you like and follow us and leave a comment on what you'll create with your copy of Clip Studio Paint, you just may win. Um, so that'll be open until Monday, and then I'm going to close the comments, and then there'll be two winners for this month, and then we'll do it again in, in May. So, um, again, just the way the rules work in the room, I can't see who is watching. Uh, so if you would like to let us know you're here, type a comment in the comment box if you're watching live. Uh, and I may call on you. Um, so, hey, Mike, we have somebody in here already. Hi, hey, uh, Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Uh, and for our, my old buddy, Glenn Whitmore. For our audio uh, listeners, because we stripped this down and put it on the website for the podcast, uh, Glenn Whitmore says, hello, gentlemen. I worked with Mike coloring his Power of Shazam issues. That was a great series. You did that with Jerry Ordway, didn't you? And Peter Krause. Was and Peter Krause, yes. Um, hey, you want to talk about that job? Because the, you were on that for a while, right? Yeah, I think I did uh, 26. Seven issues, I think. I think wow. I did twenty-seven issues of that, and then and then twenty-seven issues of uh, Alpha Flight. But I also penciled a couple issues of and an annual of uh, the Power of Shazam. Oh wow! You know, I didn't know you were on Alpha Flight until maybe like a year or so ago. Like, there's so much stuff you've done <laughs> that I can't keep up with. It's, it's wild. Yeah, that was the first my first regular series for Marvel was inking that over. Uh, there was a, a guy named John Calame who had sort of a Steve Rude style, mm -hmm. and uh, then they had a, then he left, and there was like a couple of different fill-ins. Uh, Michael Bear was drawing it for a little while, mm -hmm. um, and I we transcended the when it started. Everybody was still lettering on the boards. Mm -hmm. Then you went to the paste up, like they would letter it, and then paste the balloons. That's a lot of times why you will buy original art. You'll see original art, mm -hmm. and there's yellow stains on the art because the balloons have popped off. Right, 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 right. And wasn't there like a certain type of adhesive they used for that? Yeah, you used rubber, rubber cement. That was just rubber cement. And yeah. now, now, the, now, you know, I started in high school working in a, um ad agency. Mm-hmm. And the guy I worked with was named Rock, Rocky, much like Sergeant Rock. And he actually was an old uh, Marine 
I think munitions sergeant. So mm -hmm. he was like one of those, you know, three martini lunch kind of guys, real like old school, pre-madman. He would have eaten the madman, you know, and kept going. Um, but uh, oh, hold on, hold on, just a second. yeah, it's my delivery. I ordered. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll take you off camera, and then I'll, I'll I'll talk to the people for a minute. Um. So yeah, I'll take this moment to um. Do a quick shout out to all of our listeners out there. Uh, we've been really fortunate to see that uh, our membership is growing. The face, the Facebook group is growing. Um, I also kind of like side hustle our viewership to my Jamar Nicholas uh, Facebook page. So I know I have a lot of people who are checking in from there. Thank you and hello. Um, hey, hello everybody that's in the chat. Um, I can see you once you type uh, that you're here. So, hey, Mimi, hey, Sandra, hey, Carla, how are you? Hey, Glenn, if you're still with us. Um, if you want us to recognize your existence <laughs> uh, or acknowledge your existence, please type something in the comments, all right? Uh, hold on, let's see. Hey, Mike, you you good? Yeah, yeah, we're back. The, the, food, is, the food is here now. Okay, you need, you need no, to go? No, 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 Mimi, Mimi won't get the food. Okay. Uh, they call you and let you know, like, I'm at your door, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and this place, this place this is pretty good. They actually shut down, and then when they open back up, it used to, they um, they come and leave it, and then they call you and say, "I left it," and then they run away. <laughs> yeah, we we saw that like last week. We had ordered like we do like one order a week if we can, and like the dude was already fishtailing out of the uh, <laughs> off the block. <laughs> Before I do <laughs> smoking, like you put a bomb inside, you know, <laughs> and the dog was going crazy. I'm like, oh, I guess the food's here. Oh, is it this is this live on pencil to pencil or is this on your page? No, it's on both. It's on both. Yeah, but the pencil to pencil doesn't work. So are you looking at the comments from pencil to pencil or from Jamal's page? Uh, we're looking at the comments from pencil to pencil. Oh, it doesn't work. I we can see you. <laughs> we can see you right there. It says live comments. There's no way to comment either. All right. Well, well. Thanks, Mimi. We'll have to figure that out. Well, <laughs> there's a a lot of people in the room now. So hey, what's yeah. up? What's up, Everybody's Claire? trapped. Everybody's trapped now. This is on Facebook, yeah. Thanks, me. Uh, so I'm saying, what's up to Howard Russell? What's up, Howard? Howard's a hey, Howard. amazing cartoonist. My boy Cage Ills, another amazing cartoonist, and somebody with a high school with. It's not wow. There's not a lot of people who knew me before I had dreadlocks. So I'm only like, friends with a couple people on Facebook from high school. Wow, it's a small world. What's up, Cliff? Uh, our good friend Cliff Elbrave. I hope you're doing well, my man. Steve Myers, Jess. Oh man, look at all these people. It's P2P in the building. <laughs> we should probably do these at 8:30 every Saturday. That's that's the magic. 30. Yeah, it's 30. It's not on the nose, right? Um. So yeah, I wanted to just go over a couple of things, and if anybody, uh, every, anybody in the comments, tell me where you're watching this from, because uh, Assistant Mimi just said that. It wasn't playing on the pencil to pencil page. So if you're all coming from my Jamar Nicholas page, let me know. Um, we'll figure that out. 
I might have to call some tech support after that, but we'll, you know, we'll get through this. And also you can always watch this later. I know a lot of people who uh, try to catch things live and then they go, oh, I missed it. I'm like, well, you can still watch it. It's just, yeah. you yeah. know, it, it still exists. So it didn't disintegrate. And there, and there eventually will be a, we will be uh, launching our own YouTube channel. Yes. Um, so we will be able to, uh, we're trying to make it as available as possible. There seems like some people just like to go to YouTube. Some people like to subscribe. We've been getting a lot of subscribers, uh, which is which is great. Um, and so there doesn't seem like there's one dominant platform yet. We're not NPR, so we try to put it wherever we can. Mm, okay. Oh, look, there's a lot of people here. So it's my boy, Jamar Short. See, Mike, there's another person named Jamar that I what? Jamal, Jamal Short. <laughs> he's a real, he's a real person. Yeah. Yo, thanks. He said he's watching from the JM page. Um, Steve Connolly's in the building, and he says he's seeing it on pencil to pencil six viewers, and he sees more on my page. So it's, I guess it's working. Maybe it's a browser thing or a, a form or function thing. No. Anyway. Um, our good, our good friend and master illustrator, Hill Barda, Hillary, what's up? Says Jamar, I should let Mike go eat his dinner. <laughs> no, I ate a, I, I ate a late lunch, but I, what I like to do is order so that later on, when I become peckish, I can go and have something to eat. Yo, Mike, look, uh, our good friend Chris Pierce from Comic Troops, who we're now good friends, uh, checked in and says, "Hey, Chris." YouTube and Twitch are easiest to monetize. Oh, it's good to know. We have—I haven't really um, picked with Twitch. I thought Twitch for the longest time was just for like gaming streams and stuff, but I know people do art channels on Twitch, and I guess podcasting too. I'd have to maybe I have to pick your brain about that, Chris. But since you're mentioning it, you all can go right to PayPal right now and send us fifty dollars. <laughs> that does work. Yeah. <laughs> And also, Chris, if you can put in the comments, well, I hope you're still around. Uh, I just saw something on Chris's Facebook page that there's going to be a um, virtual Comic-Con, I believe, with a bunch of comic book YouTubers doing panels all day on, the, I think, next Saturday. I'd love to hear more about that, or maybe there's a way we can sneak in there. But oh. that sounds great. Yeah, so let us know about that. Thanks. Um. Yeah, well, uh, it's, I'm going to have to control the boards. There's a lot of people in here. But, Mike, we did get a question uh, from my good friend Carla, uh, who says, and this is a coloring question, what's, okay. the most, what's the most difficult coloring job you've ever had? Hmm. I, would, I, I don't know if I've had a really difficult coloring job. There's probably, okay. Probably back in the day before everybody did everything on the computer, I used to do a lot of activity books and coloring books and, and things for um, Western Publishing, which owns Golden Books and stuff. And they would do covers. And what you would do is do the old blue line process, which would be that you would do your drawing. Then you would go and get a clear line positive made of your drawing. Mm. So it would look like a cartoon cell. And the way you did that is that you shoot the negative mm -hmm. and then they would take the negative and put another piece of film down there and make a contact, contact print. Mm -hmm. And so then what you'd have is you had the negative, 
and you'd have the positive. Then mm -hmm. you would coat the illustration board with this light-sensitive solution, put the negative down, expose it to ultraviolet light for I forget how long now. Mm -hmm. Then you develop it with a chemical, and then you would take the positive, which looked like the animation cell, tape that down over it. So you have the blue line image of this and the clear line animation cell of the same image on top, and you would paint underneath that. That's almost almost all the graphic novels and stuff was done in Europe up until mm. recently. People mm. would do blue line. Mm. And so that was a very like time consuming process. You might put the the solution on the board, expose it to the light, right. develop and go, oh crap, I didn't get enough solution up there. I, I need to make another one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you would do that on like a Crescent illustration board. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of covers uh, where I would do the drawing and do that. And then you could paint it with watercolor or acrylic or whatever you wanted. So that was much more involved than doing something in Photoshop. Um, because you had to go to the printer, and as the time went on, you, you would find less. There were less printers that would do that, mm -hmm. because as desktop publishing started coming in in the '80s and the '90s, a lot of the small printers kind of went away. But there was a guy right up at 69th Street that used to do it for a while. Well, um, a digital um, was it something? something duplicating over in Bryn Mawr. I would go over there and get it done, mm -hmm. but I probably haven't done one of those since the late night. I wasn't doing that. By the time I was doing the Action Planet, the self-publishing stuff, mm -hmm. it, was, it was all digital. Well, you know, I was talking a while ago about how it may have been maybe the early 90s or kind of maybe like mid-90s where uh, normal people started getting access to like decent uh, software <laughs> on their computers. Uh, it was kind of still like the dark ages of um, self self publishing coloring. Like it was really rare to see. And Cliff, I'm glad you're in the room because it was really rare to see a full color comic book by indie people back in like the mid nineties, but it was uh, expensive. It was yeah, very expensive. Right. And uh, Cliff uh, uh, was famous for doing rap bastard. And that was a beautiful book that was yeah. full color. Um, and like, that was the first thing that struck me about uh, that work is that it was a color, it had great mood to it. Um, and so you could kind of see there were certain people that were able to, figure out how to use the stuff and actually make it work for them. Um, that's why a lot of things around that time, if there was color, it was just cover. I had to be the cover a lot of times, or just a, a really look, what did you used to call that, Mike? Like plastic looking? Like people hadn't really found a, a, the right finesse for doing color work yet. Right. Well, also some of that was colored on, colored on stats mm -hmm. with, uh, they're like Dr. Martin's dyes, and they're like take a finger and because the stat was slick. Yeah. So they had you use Q-tips or whatever to kind of color on the stats. Um, but the other guy who used to do great color Who's back it? in the day hmm. was Richard Corbin. Hmm. Now Richard Corbin would do all of his artwork in grayscale, and then he would do a separate overlay for red. You know the the red, the yellow, and the blue, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
and he'd already had the, the black from the gray, and he would airbrush each overlay. He used to do that stuff for all of his all of his stuff, like the den stuff. He used to yeah. color stuff for for Warren. So he was hand making his own separations, which is basically sort of like what um, uh, 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 Maxfield Parrish did when he did his illustrations back in the day. He would do a gray scale, and then he would, with ink, go over multiple times with red and yellow and blue and create those magical uh, looking paintings mm -hmm. because the the light would go through hit the hit the surface of the material and come through so it's not opaque it's translucent and so mm -hmm. it was very vibrant uh, so Corbin did that too he that's what he did is he created his own hand separations which is why when you look at his work nobody else's work looked like that because mm -hmm. he was he wasn't like coloring it by hand and then we wasn't coloring it by hand um and then having some mechanical process like the regular marvel and dc stuff because mm. i think a lot of people don't even know how those old comics were colored you would color it on a xerox and then write a code and then mm. the people at the plant actually created the separations for each color so yeah. it was a very labor-intensive process mm -hmm. to color that stuff, you know, much yeah. like the ink and paint at Disney or the old cartoons. That was a very labor-involved uh, process because you had the animator, mm -hmm. you had the cleanup guy, and they had the person ink it, and then you had somebody paint it. So you had like four people work on each frame. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, but you learn a lot about color from that old fashioned way, because you learn to actually make color. You're not saying, Oh, I like this color. Yeah, pick it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and Mike, how would, did you see any type of um, draconian coloring processes in doing the daily strips? Cause I know you color the Sunday, but that's all digital now, but that wasn't always the case. No, the, the strips were again, were, were colored just like the comics. Mm -hmm. And depending upon the artist, like if you're Jim Davis, the guy did Garfield, he had his own team. Yeah. And then I know Williamson used to indicate color. Leonard Starr would indicate color. A lot of the most of the guys would either color it themselves or their assistant would color it. And then you would write like like for instance, like Spider-Man's red is a hundred percent magenta and a hundred percent yellow. Mm -hmm. To make that vibrant like the color of our in our red and our logo that's red and yellow not just red right so but you'd have to you know you would have to know there was like 64 colors oh if i still have it oh you got your I sheet <laughs> i might actually yeah let me look here in my drawer i might actually still mm. might still have my sheet i had a sheet that had all the you covered for me mike uh glenn <laughs> says that's how he colored your work Right, mm -hmm. right. So, so you, you, then you're you're also relying upon the finesse of the per ah ha 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 ha. You're relying upon the finesse of the person working in the plant to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see how this person, the colorist, like Glenn, mm -hmm. indicated this. They have to match it, but they also either cutting it out mm -hmm. of a ruby lith, which is like a plastic with a red on it. 
mm-hmm. that you would pull away again to make a positive or a negative, mm-hmm. and or they would have something called uh, something opaque where they would paint it on. So you would mm-hmm. paint, not cut it with a with a with a with a razor. Mm-hmm. You would paint it on because mm-hmm. you could do it that way. But mm-hmm. you were also then relying upon. So here I got here's yeah. Hold it up. Can you see this? So this is yeah. The, Oh, look at that. Hold on. I'm going to give you the whole screen. That's dope. Hold on a second. So ahead, this, is what, this is what Glenn would have or anybody working at Marvel in DC mm-hmm. up until everything was done on the computer. And when I first started working at uh, doing the strips, they sent me this. So you would see, open it all the way up. Wow. So you have every color on here, and then you have colors that are made that have the, the gray in there, what mm-hmm. they used to call mm-hmm. the call the K tones. Mm-hmm. So you had, and oh, I had I had K tones. I had to I had to go get uh, extra medicine for my doctor. <laughs> for so I still have this, and I would actually take this in and show it to the students in the classroom because every colorist. You know, when you would go up to Marvel, you would see, or DC, you would see a lot of these, uh, a lot of these things pinned up. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. So, okay, I want this to be 73, 70. So you'd have to write all these. I'm sure Glenn can explain it yeah. way, way better than I can. Oh, you have to, to match these. And mm-hmm. some publishers, as I understand it, didn't want to use the K-tones, which had the black in it, because mm. it was somehow more expensive. Oh. You, just, you just didn't have the black plate and then the, the three color plates. You had the black plate and a gray and a, and a screened gray plate mm-hmm. to make those colors that had the, bla- the black in them. Well, so the same amount of scrutiny that you had to put into doing screen tones, right? So it had to be the right percentage or dot. Right. Like ben says you could only use... 25, 50, and 100%. Mm. So there was all these limitations. I mean, there's a lot of colors on here, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of colors. On, there's a lot of colors on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but now this, no one uses this anymore, but I saved it because it's this. It's history. It was history. <laughs> yeah. And um, now the computer, you color, whatever you color in the computer, you send to the printer. The printer's computer makes those separations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All done automatic. Uh, Cliff, I, I, I love Cliff's icon. He's masked up. Says, <laughs> says there were also opaqueing markers. We used to use them in my screen print shop. Right, right, exactly. The, the opaque marker. Or I had them because I used to do some stuff at that uh, place I started working at when I was fifteen. Mm-hmm. And you could cut something out of rubylith. Or you could use the the opaque marker or the this stuff that was in like a little cake, mm-hmm. like a little, little like soap dish, and you take your 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 brush, and you could paint it in that way. Mm-hmm. So it was very uh, time. In fact, I did a poster for an air show, and I and I read how uh, Corbin had done all of his things on those overlays. Mm-hmm. So I got my airbrush out and my pen opaque out. And I did my drawing, and then I got um, um, mylar and cut the sheets of the mylar. So I had the four things, and then I airbrushed on the colors 
and use the opaque to to do the, the each separation for the red, the blue, the yellow to make the poster. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to go back to. Cliff had a really good uh, uh, comment. Well, it's not a comment, it's a statement. Uh, he said he had to throw out his $10,000 Agfa stat camera in 99 because it became obsolete. If you say stat camera now, you, <laughs> what? Date, yourself. you date yourself because nobody <laughs> knows what a stat is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, when I was in high school, I started working in a place, and that's what I did. I learned how to use a stat camera. I learned how to develop everything. I learned how to run a, pre a printing press. Mm -hmm. I learned how to type, spec type, paste up, all that, all those old world skills. In fact, in high school, I had a printing class. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you had to do in Burley Hendricks' printing class was to set a paragraph of lead type. Oh, wow. So just yeah. like the old days, you know, when, you know, really the kid seen in town, you had to go through and get the letters, but then you also had to get the spacing, the mm -hmm. letting, mm -hmm. which people still say letting. Yeah. It actually comes from the fact that there was a little piece of lead mm -hmm. of various widths that you would stick between each word. Right. That's that's wild. But no, Mike, you just draw comics. Well, you know, it's funny that that the guy I worked with, Rocky, he was like a a tough old like no nonsense guy. But I learned so much from him because it was all very hands on. In yeah. fact, because when I went to do my own books, self publishing, because I had worked in printing, I understood how to do it. So I understood how to talk to the printer. I knew the pro the process. I could talk about what I wanted done with the printing, what kind of paper I wanted. The mm -hmm. same thing when I started Draw Magazine. I mean, I laid out the first several issues of Draw myself using Quark and all that other stuff. So, uh, I, I, you know, you sort of the necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. But I'm really glad I learned all that old stuff because part of the skill that I learned because Rocky was so demanding mm -hmm. when I would, you know, you would take your, you'd have your ruler, you know, and you would put your type and then you get it, everything really even. I trained my eye as a teenager to be able to put down stuff and it, I could tell it whether it was straight, like off by a 16th of an inch. Mm -hmm. I could tell I trained my eye and that's still a skill set I use today. It's like, mm -hmm. um, that's that's why uh, I think the old guys all understood the craft aspect. There was a craft, a craftsmanship aspect to this profession. Like Hubert Lettered, you know, all those old guys could do lettering, they yeah. could do coloring, they yeah. could do every aspect of the job, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just having a, kind of like an enormous... Uh, scope of how the business works just made you more indispensable as an employee or whatever your job title was, right? Like, and you just had to know this stuff because even like the language of the studio was just full of these terms and you, right. could, you couldn't guess exactly. your way through that. Exactly. Right? I don't know if I still have it. That's it. I had it somewhere. I still have my old Ames lettering guide. Mm. Uh, those are back. Those are back in vogue with uh, young cartoonists. It's almost like 
um, using a, a, a old school typewriter now. Like people are learning how to letter using a lettering guide. But yeah, show it if you have it. I'm yeah, sure. I don't know if I still, I, I, I might have taken it into school to show the, to frighten the children. I think I'm I, going to make you hand letter. I might have one around, but yeah, I mean, there's just the art of hand lettering, like our buddy Todd Klein, who's ah! <laughs> like Todd Klein is one of the, you know, best letterers yeah. in the business. He's won like every award many He's times won. over. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But that's actually, I think, very important. And one of the things that you notice, especially with cartoonists who did newspapers or do that kind of stuff, they're lettering. Like Charles Schultz lettering is so iconic. Or, mm -hmm. or uh, any any guy who does it and does like Gary Trudeau has a style of lettering that's like his. Mm -hmm. I think he's using a font now of his handwriting. But yeah, but back back in the seventies and eighties, he was doing it well on the boards. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 and I think that was part of like if you went to the school uh, in New York or you were somebody's assistant, that was one of the things they had you do. You know, you had to learn a letter. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to learn how to do real basic stuff. And and uh, I think it's I always say to me, it's a difference between deciding you don't want to do something and do something else, then you can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then letting something else make the decision for you. Right. That's the negative side of technology because there's so many automatic things that happen, right? And I see that with younger artists now more than ever because there's so much technology, right? Mm -hmm. There's people learning the ink and doing comics that are not doing it on paper. So they're using some software. They're using some kind of a technology that's saying, okay, center left, center right, do this, pick this color, do the Great. It works, but is that an informed decision or is that a just a decision that you come to because, well, the machine just had the thing there and I just kind of did that thing, you know? And on the, on the other side of that is I think all of this stuff kind of deadens the craft for people who don't understand it. Like, oh, well, you, all you just have to do is get a computer and then that'll do the art for you, right? You just That's right. You go, computer, draw four pages. Oh, I'm go get some coffee. <laughs> yeah, you press the you press the art button, and right. then the art comes out. Please um, make it better. Make it twice as good as the last page. Uh, our our friend Carla asked a um, question about Photoshop. Uh, she said, and I, I think I'll, I'll have to correct you, Carla. I know what you meant. Uh, so, is Photoshop is is that best for indie creators? I think the thing with software these days is that there's kind of there's a lot of stuff out there, but there really isn't at the same time. I feel like Photoshop is kind of like everybody's industry standard, right? Like anybody who's a designer or uh, artist of any salt or photographer has Photoshop. Like that's just part of your toolbox now. Uh, I'd be it'd be I'd be hard pressed to know any working artists that don't have a copy of Photoshop on their computer for some for some reason. Well, what but, Photoshop has done too is well, like my grandfather was a display letterer, so he actually hand lettered signs, trucks, billboards, all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was could be very creative with it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, because he learned to do that, he was able to teach himself. Uh, uh, profession, but uh, he wasn't reliant upon like 
I always say if, if they change that version of everybody goes through this when they change the next version of Photoshop, everybody's like, Where's my where's that the thingy that was over here? Mm -hmm. It's not it's not there anymore. Where did where did it go? Or it's combined with another my tools are combined with other tools. You know? He can't see without his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and um that was like the, one of the things we talked about the other day was just there's a point where it isn't even necessary to keep upgrading once you learn how to do what you need it to do and you get quick at doing it that one way. Like updating is just, you know, for completionists, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I, there are a lot of cartoonists who use Photoshop to color and, you know, uh, not doing a sideways plug for Clip Studio Paint, but there are a lot of people now who are starting to color uh, in Clip Studio Paint. There, and I think flatting is a lot easier to do in Clip Studio. Are you flat? Are you doing flats for anything? I'm not flat. I'm fully dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> I was bored this way. Uh, no, I don't flat. I I basically color Judge Parker with two layers: the line layer. In the color, the color layer. layer, yeah, and mm -hmm. I just and I just color it. You know, I, I fill or fill things or airbrush or whatever. I don't like using lots of layers. I like to keep it as dumb as possible. Yeah, um, and it works well for me. I know a lot of people are like separating each thing on a. There's like 50 layers, and they're coloring in channels, and mm -hmm. that's not how I learn to color. Yeah. So I try to color in Photoshop, like I learned to color. When I was coloring before computers, right? Yeah. Um, and so, except it's just it's digital instead of, uh, you know, Doctor Martin's dyes or whatever. Right. The other thing is that, like, look at their type. Look at that. Everything is uh, it's, it's all Helvetica. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's happened with Photoshop? This is actually something I wrote in my part of my thesis mm. when I wrote for my master's. Was that when people like my grandfather hand lettered everything and lettering became beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful logos, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, now I don't need to hire you because I can get some clip art and I can use Photoshop and I can make something. Right. So all the stuff tends to have a much more of a generic look to it. Now you mm -hmm. can take it if you're a good designer because of your knowledge of good design, make it great. But the average person who goes into Staples to get a business card done or just make a sign, right, press art, press, <laughs> yep, you just flip, punch, there it is. It's good enough for me. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. so like when my grandfather would, would letter a window for a car dealership, giant letters on a car dealership, mm -hmm. all right? But, and he had a style for right. doing different – there was like different styles – for like milk, a dollar ninety nine, or mm. Cadillac. Right. right. You're not going to use Dom Casual or something for Cadillac. You want more of an elegant, right, letter. Right. But and you have to be a person who understands letter forms mm -hmm. to understand that or create display lettering. In fact, I still somewhere have like one of his old uh, his old books on display lettering, and they were just beautiful lobby cards when people would go in a restaurant. Now some like you go Trader Joe's, mm -hmm. you see their creative lettering, you're getting a little bit of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember I tried to get a job at Trader Joe's when they showed up in my area in Philly. 
uh, to do be a sign artist, and uh, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I didn't get the job. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that another time. But yeah, I was really in, just enthralled by you know the people that they had there, especially at the beginning, were was doing magnificent work. I don't know if it's the same. I don't go to Trader Joe's as much as I used to, but I thought that was such a really classic callback. Yeah, let it go. You just yeah. Uh, Howard, sit on the sidewalk every time you go past Trader Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Dead to me. Uh, Howard says, "Yeah, I'm a fifty layer guy." Uh, you know, and I, oh Howard, you want to talk about why you like uh, a thousand layers on a on a on, on a project? Um, oh, also, Mike Hill says that he has no Photoshop in his studio. Um, pure. He's a purist. <laughs> Gregorian chants. Oh, you know, oh ink is scraping away on some like parchment made out of goat skin. <laughs> um, I'm enjoying the lively uh, chat room here, Mike. This is really good stuff. I hope you guys can continue to chime in. And I think our conversations are are a lot more plumb when we have a lot of input from you guys. Oh yeah, much better. Um. I wanted to, I didn't want to lose lose the chance to talk about our last podcast, Mike, where we had our good buddy, uh, animation director, Chris Bailey one. Uh, what did you think of that episode? It was, it was I think, uh, a, a great way of, of showing, same thing, like a journeyman, because he did so many different things mm -hmm. from the beginning of his career doing the 2D, but also doing the 3D. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, he talked a little bit about how there were some guys who sort of resisted the 3D. Mm -hmm. And then later on, like, oh, well, I guess I better learn that old 3D. And they're like, <laughs> uh, well, you guys can kind of go learn the 3D and then show us what you did. So you learned on the job. Right. Anytime you can pay, the company can pay you to learn, that's a good opportunity to take. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. I, like I, I always say, I bought my first computer in 1994. I actually still have it, my first Power Mac. <laughs> is, it, is it a fish tank now? <laughs> it still works. It still wow. works, unlike mm -hmm. any other Mac I've bought since then, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the the fact is, if you can get the corporation to pay for you to learn, great. I could see that that's the way things were going. Mm -hmm. They were going to go towards technology, right? Mm -hmm. Either you're going to jump on, and you're going to go with it, or you're just going to you're going to get left behind. Either going to go forward. Or get left behind, especially mm -hmm. as an independent artist. Mm -hmm. It's upon you to make sure that you stay. It's not up to the ad agency or mm -hmm. Disney or anybody else or Marvel or DC to make sure that you stay up to date. If you don't want to buy a computer or you don't want to learn how to do that stuff, they're they're fine because there's other people that 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 are and and will. Yeah. Um, like I, I took Flash classes in like 2000. I paid mm -hmm. to learn to learn Flash because I could see that was a big thing. So you kind of really have to learn that you have to be responsible for that. And so if you can get an opportunity where you're working at a studio and they're going to say, well, we're switching over from light box to gear box to, you know, lunch box to, you know, toolbox. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, okay, great. I'll learn that because <laughs> chances are, Chances are you might not work at that company in five years, but you can take what you learned there and go to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, 
Yeah, and I I uh, do a weekly watch party with my Patreon patrons with with uh, of all of the videos we do over the week, uh, the pencil to pencil and my coffee break videos. And uh, I had a lively conversation with them in the chat room about kind of like this. It's it's still really rare to see people be interested in how the sausage is made, especially with things like cartooning and animation where people just enjoy it as entertainment. You know, the layman, I'll say, who right. goes, well, oh, wow, I really like that. That's dope. Or that was a cool, that's my favorite cartoon and don't think another thought about it. Right. So to have someone on like Chris, who has just like this, this crazy, this crazy backlog of projects he worked on, and you know Chris's uh, pedigree is one of those things where you've probably seen something he did, and it's not even a, 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 a you know a hard to imagine you have haven't or have. If and, you're under twenty years old, you probably grew up watching something he worked on. Yeah, and so you know, I was saying to them, I was like, yeah, you have to think about how many people just assume like somebody presses the art button and i you know and just to take a take a step off the curb for a second with this and i get worried about that a lot and that's really why i want to keep going with the podcast and doing our studio talks because you know now we're in this era of binge watching everybody's stuck at home destroying netflix <laughs> what else what else what else is there you know, i watched the whole season of that where's the next season um, right. And the more uh, uh, of a commodity that entertainment is, the less I think people care about how it happens. Right. So for us to be able to talk about the business and, you know, even like stat machines and all that archaic stuff kind of makes I hope will make people slow down a little bit and appreciate it in a different way. It's true. One of the things I, 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 I like about, I always talk about teaching. One of the things I like about teaching, especially teaching young people, is you get to see uh, sort of what the future of the world is going to be by mm -hmm. their taste now. So you're 15, you're 16, you're, uh, and the way they, they interact with the world is in some cases radically different than I interact with the world because uh, a lot of my tastes, my way, my brain, the way I learn my craft, happened in a, in a way before the, any of this technology existed. And so they start right away with embracing technology, embracing change, embracing new operating systems, embracing Instagram. No, embracing TikTok. No, embracing whatever, whatever the next one word thing, splunge, whatever the next thing is that, that people will, will be, uh, will be into. Right. Um, and, but there's two sides of that, that I see. One is that we're drowning in entertainment. There has never been more entertainment. You could not possibly, even though we're all, uh, you know, quarantined, you cannot possibly consume all the entertainment that's out there, mm -hmm. all the channels, the Hulu, the Netflix, the, all that you can't watch it all. And but I'm going to try. Right, and because of like places like Instagram, you could just go all day and just see images, 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 images. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. each image is not as precious. Because yeah. there's 50 if I do that, mm -hmm. right? So nothing is as precious. Mm -hmm. As an artist, that might not be ap apparent to you when you're 15. But when you're 25 and trying to earn a living by selling your art or working as an artist, it will be very apparent. 
right? Because mm -hmm. one of the things, the discussions I've had with them is, you know, everybody steals stuff. They just kind of, you know, yeah. get, it free, get it for free. Right click, save as. Right, right. You don't think about that when you're 15. Yeah. When you're 25, and you got to pay. You got to pay for your mortgage or whatever, or your your apartment. Mm -hmm. you're like, damn, somebody went through and stole my Patreon and stole all my all my stuff. Yeah. And you'll be yeah. like outraged. You'll be outraged that somebody did that. But mm -hmm. when you were 15 and you were doing it, you're like, ha! I got all that mm -hmm. stuff off a of pirate bay for just a couple <laughs> clicks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to go backwards here, but yeah, the room is agreeing with you. Uh, my buddy Steve Meyer says, just Google it and save it, right? Right? That's just how it works. Uh, but then Steve Conley comes in and, hey, Steve, how are you? And remember, guys, Steve was the great designer who put together our pencil to pencil branding. So give him a like and a follow and a wink and a nod. Uh, Steve says, this is also for posterity, talking about the podcast. Wouldn't you love to find hours and hours of, of Kniff or Kirby talking shop? <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be amazing. Have you seen those, Mike? They're like these old YouTube clips. Uh, they're like these black and white studio clips with a bunch of cartoonists just like on a big piece of paper just doing a jam session. I think those were done in France or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're very French. And there were a couple of American guys. Like I remember seeing one, it may have been, and please don't shoot me if I get the eras wrong, but I remember seeing one with like Neil Adams yep. was sitting next to Mobius. And then, you know, next to Mobius was like Payo or something. And they were just like, you know, going at it with like one of those old school uh, alcohol magic markers, just yeah. banging it out. And I think one had Qbert. Yeah. And, and and I think Al Williamson was on one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I remember as a kid to t to tangent under that mm -hmm. the Mike Douglas show, which came from Philadelphia. Mike I remember him having Milton Kniff on there. Really? Yeah, and they would go on and like just draw like a big head of their character or something. Mm -hmm. When uh, I think it was every everybody used to smoke on camera back then. I'm sure Mike Douglas had a, had a a Winston hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> I just watched a Dick Cavett uh, show a couple of weeks ago that had um, Jack Lemon and Orson Welles, and Jack Lemon's just like right on there, just like mm -hmm. everybody's smoking. That was like yeah. Tom, the Tom Snyder show too. It was yeah. just a black backdrop with just smoke in the air. Um, I was speaking of children. Uh, hold on, Carla just said something insightful. The longevity of a work has to do with the value we find in it. I love old cartoons because they remind me of a time of my life when I was innocent. One day my children will hopefully do the same. And how? Oh, that's that's <laughs> that's beautiful. I want to hang that on my wall. Thanks, Carla, for that insight. Um, and I was going to embarrass Mike uh, since we're talking about childhood. Uh-oh. I, I, I found this. Hold on. Let me set it up here. Oh, no, that's me. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm not the secret. Hold on. Do that. Do that. Oh. Oh, look at that. That's so I posted that today on my uh, Facebook page. Who's that? So that is me, uh, and that must be either that issue of Mad, which if you see if you go on my Facebook, so it was an issue of Mad, 
nine, January 1971. So I was probably nine years old there because my my birthday is in October. Mm -hmm. So I was probably nine, between nine and ten years old mm -hmm. in my uh, parents in my kitchen uh, when uh, in Detroit, and I was copying uh, uh, more Drucker. And I, 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 I was. It just occurred to me today, even looking at it. I like to do those wind down drawings where I have the swirl of things and what are multiple things. And I think it comes from I was doing that there, at like ten years old. You know, I would do copy things like we all do when we were young. And um, I loved, loved Mad Magazine. I loved more Drucker stuff. And those are probably the first guys that I became aware of their name that and jack kirby because mm -hmm. i was reading those uh jimmy olsen's yeah at the time mm -hmm. and i had not seen any of the marvel stuff so i wasn't aware of his stuff until i was right around that same age mm -hmm. and the little mary's a little store down the street party store down the street sold comics and i remember getting those jimmy olsen's that he did when he went first went to dc and being really just like this Superman looked like he was like really super as opposed to the, mm -hmm. the uh, Kurt Swan Superman, which I always bought and I liked, but this Superman seemed more, you know, dynamic and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, so I was probably nine or 10 there and, and I uh, sit there, see, I'm still sit there, love to sit there and, and, uh, and draw. So I was a big, I was even explaining that to Mimi earlier. It's like, it's hard for people to understand some of this stuff now because there's so much stuff. But Mad was like the only thing like it then. Yeah. And it was subversive and cool, and the cartooning was funny. And I remember having teachers take my Mad magazine away from me. <laughs> no. I had my, ma my math book, but with my Mad magazine inside my math book. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah. And then I found the little paperback reprints, like Son of Mad. Mm -hmm. You know? And uh, oh, yeah, I loved loved Mad magazine. So, and Mike, I know that you come come from a very loving household. Um, how did they? How did your parents take on your early uh, passion of cartooning? Uh, did they? How did they support you with that? It was, it was uh, frequent beatings and locking in a dark closet. <laughs> I can relate. Uh, no, my parents are always uh, very and still are very loving and supportive, mm -hmm. and especially my grandmother. Mm -hmm. My mom, my grandmother, my grandma Mickey was probably my biggest of everyone, my biggest booster. I would not be where I am today in many ways without her love and support. Mm -hmm. And she was, uh, you know, my of course my grandfather, my mom's father was a commercial artist, but he was not the most nurturing grandfather. It's sort of odd. Mm -hmm. He did give me probably the most important book I got at an early age was the Loomis Fun with a Pencil. Oh, the Loomis got, books, yeah. Which sent me, and particularly that one because it had the cartooning and I really could click with that and that told me how to like construct figures. So right from the beginning, that was very important. But my grandma, who was a secretary at Chrysler, would bring home like whenever the mimeograph or Xerox, they always have paper, extra paper. Yeah. yeah. Save all that stuff. Again, being uh, a person who grew up through the depression mm -hmm. and any old markers or pens or extra pencils or so whenever I would go to my grandparents' house, which was like all the time, there was a big giant box of art supplies. 
just for you. For me and my brother or my cousins that they came over. Mm -hmm. And so I was always very encouraged to uh, to draw, to be creative. Wow. That's great. When I meet parents, you know, you'll meet a parent who comes in, will be at a convention or someplace, and they have that convert concerned parent look like, oh, my son, Jamar, likes to draw. I don't know what to do with him. And I say, you know, I always say, you know, abandon him, him in the parking lot and just drive. Don't look back. Just get in the car and drive. Uh, <laughs> Fish tailing out of the parking lot. That's right. Say, the best thing you can do to a kid, if they're into anything, is just support them being into it. Yeah. Because if they're really going to be into it, then they'll, they will go. And I mm. think it's very hard with art because most people don't know an artist. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. know a musician or people that play music or whatever, but most people don't know an artist. They especially don't know a cartoonist no, or, you know, a painter. And again, me growing up in Detroit, you know, in the black community, visual arts is not really supported. Yeah. Sports, music, things like that. People know that, right? And growing mm -hmm. up in Motown, whatever, people yeah. would know that. But right. I know I talk to other uh, 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 young black artists or other Artists who were older than me would say that, you know, that they were, they was not as supported more now. I think mm -hmm. way more now. Yeah. But not typical. Mm -hmm. uh, even for like musicians, nobody wanted their kid to be a musician. Nobody wanted their kid to be an artist. They wanted you to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, something that makes money, something that they can understand. People, in fact, when I had my leg thing and I was in the hospital, there was a, a nurse from, I believe she was Jamaica. And she found out this is what I do. And she was talking to me every time she came in because she had a friend whose young son wanted to be an artist, but the father's like, no, 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 I don't want my son to be, you know, mm -hmm. to be gay or a weenie or whatever. I want him to be a man, none mm -hmm. of the, you know, drawing stuff. So I was saying, you know, you just kind of got to support that kid. Mm -hmm. And if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And it might be a phase, and then he gets into cars or mm -hmm. girls or whatever else. Or that might be a person who is really going to go on and do something fantastic. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is just support them. Yeah. Then after you see that they're serious enough about it, maybe you give them a class. And then if they are a little bit more serious about it, you can get them another class. You know, Some people are just going to do it as a hobby because they're interested. Yeah. But then they're going to get more interested in something else. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, 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 a lot of parents don't really have, most people don't have any experience with an artist in their life. So they always look at it like, I don't know, that's mm -hmm. kind of weird. Yet they watch cartoons, they watch things on TV. I guess they just never assume that there's a human being, you know, making the thing. That's the art button. You know, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, they had Wonderful World of Disney on, and every once in a while they would show the animators, right. you know, doing the stuff or whatever. And that was seeing, always like really mm -hmm. fascinating. But I think now people just like it's computer animated, they just assume the guy comes in and goes, Hold on, I'll be back in uh, three weeks once you're done rendering. Right. <laughs> he presses the move on button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. They have, and and part of it is, I think, is our culture now is also very different mm -hmm. because in the old days, I'm talking old, old days, you go back before radio, mm -hmm. 
everybody played an uh, instrument. Yeah. Right? You didn't have a radio, you can turn it on. So everybody played an instrument. Mm -hmm. People did a lot more crafts, so they might learn how to paint or mm -hmm. do things they were interested in. They had hobbies because they had to entertain themselves. Now we are entertained. We don't entertain ourselves mm -hmm. by playing a music um, uh, instrument or something. You're yeah. fed the, the entertainment. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's even this with because now, like I was saying earlier, going back to what I was saying earlier, there's so much of it. Yeah. You can't even consume it all. It's just, it's just flowing endlessly. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I was uh, one of my things that I talk about all the time about when I was growing up um, in West Philly back in the, the late 70s, early 80s, is that I, I knew I always wanted to be a cartoonist. I think that was very rare for like a lot of kids that have a, a very locked in passion like that. What age did you say? What age did you say that I wanted to be a cartoonist? I think it was probably five. Really? Yeah, I was. And, well, I was enthralled with the newspaper strips and like that's all I wanted to. I wanted to read it, but I also just wanted to draw. I was very like moved by drawing when I was around that stuff and cartoons later and all that. But and I was always encouraged in the home. But outside of that, like I had no support. Like, you know, the kids in my neighborhood were like, you know, like I always hear these stories about these kids who are like selling their mini comics at lunch for 50 cents and, and you know, some a bag of Funyuns. And I, have, I didn't really have it like that. And uh, a lot of the kids I grew up with like to draw too. Like you'd sit on the stoop and everybody would be drawing. But you know, no one ever thought you could do that for real, or that's white people do that. Like that's not a thing that you can do. Did you become aware of that at a certain point? Like, oh, these cartoonists are white or black, or yeah. I, I mean, but you know, my the way I kind of perceived the world back then, like I knew, you know, about race and racism and all that other kind of stuff. And when I was, especially when I was growing up, before I went to high school, I don't think I knew any white people. I think I maybe I. What? It's true. Oh, no, Santa Claus. Come on, <laughs> you know, at least one white guy one day out of the year. You know, the landlord was a white guy. Oh. And I think when I, I think maybe when I was in second or third grade, um, I wound up in the suburbs for a year and. Springfield, the, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew. I spent a year in Springfield, and all of a sudden, uh, I got on the school bus and went to Springfield Elementary. I think, like, <laughs> like the Simpsons, and there were like white kids, and I was like one of the. Well, that's not true. Like where I was, it was kind of like a little hood type of part of the suburbs where all the black people live, and uh, all of a sudden, I started to kind of figure out that things were a little different. But, you know, I just wanted to draw and, you know, the white kids thought that was interesting. The black kids were like, you know, everybody wanted to be Dr. J. <laughs> you know, just being being a Philly guy is just like Dr. J was the most. Dr. J. Yeah, I was the shortest Dr. J ever. I, I, I sucked at basketball. I tried out once, but I was like, I was more prone to tackle somebody. Than, uh, you know. um, yeah, but, you know, um, I wound up. Um, going kind of like through my early art education by um, defying every teacher I had because all of them wanted me to stop. All of my teachers hated what I was doing. All the of, 
Yeah, all of all of my teachers were just like, I wish you would cut that out. When I got to high school, and, and any of my high school buddies who are still in the room now, at Kappa, all of my teachers hated that I wanted to be a cartoonist. They're like, you need to stop drawing that trash and draw this vase. And I was like, you know, I can do that too. I'll do that too. And one of my teachers would secretly um, give me cartooning tips after school and wouldn't tell anybody else. Like, come in, come here, come here. When you draw a character, there you do circles like this, and then there's heads, and you, a character is so many heads high. All right, run, run, get out of here. Yeah, get out of here before they see. You know, so, <laughs> save yourself. So you know, I kind of had to defy the odds with my thing, but you know, I, my mother is my biggest supporter, and I don't think any of this would have happened if it wasn't for her. But you know, I really uh, applaud any parents that see uh, a, a early love of art in their children, and I hope that they try to push it. But my buddy Samax, who is on here a lot. Um, talks about the dead myth of the starving artist, right? We still live in that culture where, oh, well, you wanted to be an artist. Well, good luck never eating a full course meal again. I think we both uh, put that lie to shame. Mm -hmm. I've eaten many a full <laughs> course meal. I could be like an old, an old Disney character, like pull my stomach up and tighten my belt. <laughs> right? And, and uh, Mimi just says, you went to Kappa. Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, a thing that, uh, oh, this is what I was going to say. I, this is an old uh, cartoon I saw on the internet where the first panel is um, this guy goes in front of his parents and goes, well, mom and dad, I think I want to be a doctor. And the next frame is like everybody's rejoicing <laughs> and somebody's cutting a cake. So then the next panel, like below it, like the alternative panel is like, yeah, mom and dad, I want to be an artist. And they're all crying and wearing black. And they're like, no. <laughs> so, you know, that's another thing is you have to be ex extraordinary or get to a certain point where you have to do something no one else has done for people to believe that you're really what you said you are. I've always heard stories about people having all this resistance in their lives with whatever their artistic craft was until they got a check. Oh, yeah. Big enough to say, hey, look, they paid me to do this. Can you get off my back now? You know, it's always kind of like trying to win over the family in a lot of people's cases. Or, you know... Uh, I remember having Thanksgiving dinners where the family's kind of like, so what, you're going to art school? What, you yeah. know, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, well, you know, and I'm from a, a, a different era of this stuff where it's just like, well, we don't believe you. <laughs> I know this is what you say you want to do, but what are you really going to do? Kind of like a phase thing. Like he's going through a phase. Well, I, I know, I know people like that who yeah. uh, were, they're like, okay, but when you graduate and you you get your your certificate or your degree, then you can actually go to nursing school. Mm -hmm. I can go spend all that time, all that money, all that effort, go to art school. But now when you're done, okay, okay, you've done your art school now. Now you can actually go get your, you know, go go do what we wanted you 
to do. Now, I mean, the concern is legitimate because every parent wants their child to be uh, successful and nobody wants their kid to be a bum and you know not make any money. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the, the mythology of the starving artist is just perpetuated by this Hollywood, uh, the Hollywoodization of the, that 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 concept. When in reality, the only the only reason you will be a starving artist is if you suck. <laughs> if you suck, you will starve. But as you know, if you're a shitty doctor, you don't work. If you're right. a shitty musician, you don't work. If you're a crappy dentist, you don't. You know, if you're a bad carpenter, nobody. You know, you build a bad addition on somebody's house and then eh, it all falls over mm. you're not going to get two jobs after that so right. i think the 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 real lesson is you have to be and i always say that be an a or a b level artist mm -hmm. you know almost nobody is a very few people a yeah. a average person is c let's say the average person well nobody wants an average girlfriend or boyfriend mm. nobody wants to get an average job nobody wants to get an average paycheck live in an average neighborhood, drive an average car. Everybody wants A or B. You know, you want, everyone wants to trade up. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the few occupations where you, in the end, are really in control of that. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to draw a hand better, well, you just practice drawing hands until you get better at it. It's like you have to desire that knowledge and you really have to Say I, it's just important for me to do it, and so I will keep trying until I achieve that. It's mm -hmm. not like if I said I wanted to play in the NBA, I was always too short. Mm -hmm. I got the best three point shot, but if a guy's a foot taller than me, he just comes over and <laughs> <laughs> just blocks it, right? Yeah. You know? So with art, it really you can be a A or B level person if you're willing to do. The effort, and it has, it's not equal for everybody, and everybody has to do the same amount of effort. For some people, it's really hard, and some people, it's it's easier. But mm -hmm. uh, I know, you know, when you were a kid and you draw, every, oh, that's that's I can never do it. I, you know, my uncle or I have a cousin. You know, you get all those the same cliche as the starving artist, right? I can never draw a straight line with a ruler. Blah mm -hmm. blah blah blah. Well, mm -hmm. you know, you can if you try. Right really really try you know mm -hmm. and we really really try. and i think maybe for us what we had in our corner besides you know like my grandmother being supportive or your mom being supportive was the fact that when you were young you had that idea of that's what you wanted to do yeah so it kind of gives you a a focus like a yeah like a rudder right to guide you yeah yeah mm -hmm. you know and so i think that that's also uh yeah, very important because, you know, the later you try to do it, the harder it is because your life is much more mm -hmm. complicated, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So that I find it uh, funny that you were sitting there at five years old thinking, I, you know, I want to be this is what I want to do. Yeah, it was a very it was a very strong urge that I had. And I didn't. What, hmm? what is the first cartoon that you remember? Like by name, like, oh, I like, you know. Schultz or you know do, were you just connecting to the characters or are you connecting to I was connecting the to the, I was connecting to the art I was connecting to the 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 the, the rhythm and and style of all of these different cartoonists and one of the things on the newspaper page that I really loved is that everyone was kind of 
basically in the same place dancing, but everybody had their own dance, right? You know, Schultz stuff looked nothing like Smythe's Andy Cap or, you know, Blondie looked nothing like BC, <laughs> you know, but it all was still, you know, living together on, on the page. And I loved like having the idea that I could just control my own destiny through cartooning, you know, create your own universe, so to speak. Um, right. But I do remember I had a really strong connection to Peanuts. I don't even think I read the stuff, but, you know, I like the style. Um, you know that I'm a big Andy Cap fan. Um, uh, Blondie. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think Andy Cap's a cart. Is that even syndicated anymore? No, no. I mean, they couldn't do it. The guy with them beating the hell out of each other now. You yeah, yeah. You couldn't have, like, and there's, like, a statue in the town over there, I think, of... <laughs> I was like, no, no way in, in today's culture you could ever have an Andy Cap. Well, I know that the kids know about Andy Cap from the bodega because the they still make the pub fries, the you know, the the snacks. Hot fries, with the hot fries? Yeah, they have they used I don't even think they make the pub fries anymore. They just make the hot fries. Hot snacks are really popular. But my biggest love affair was with Doonesbury, and it's it doesn't make much sense. But there was something about Doonesbury that I aesthetically thought was amazing. And I think when he was playing with um, the backgrounds of his panels where there'd be a, a picture of Henry Kissinger on a wall. And then in the in the last frame, it was like Nixon, you know, it's just kind of like messing with timing and things like that. And the spatial awareness always bugged me out. But, you know, and I had the paperback collections we would get from uh, Walden Books. <laughs> of you know like the little Doonesbury collections and I just wanted all of them but I didn't understand any of the storylines so you weren't connected to the political aspect of it where you were not getting into no I mean I was pretty, I was like eight <laughs> Watergate, Watergate. Well, I was like eight or nine I know what I was talking about or even reading to that point of comprehending and then I really connected with uh, Burke Breathed when Bloom County came out and I I it was kind of shocking to think that Bloom County came out in like the early 80s. Like it always seems like it came out a lot later, but like Bloom County started in like 83 or something like that, 84. Oh. And there was, I think there was something about Breathed style that was really loose and sloppy, but it had a, a really good sense of control at the same time. And I, I kind of wrote it out with Bloom County for a long time. So those were some you don't get uh, a lot of people now saying that they wanted to be a strip cartoonist. That was like Williamson's generation, right? Because everybody, yeah. most people, my generation wanted to do comics mm -hmm. or paperbacks or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Their generation, the golden, the golden goose was to become a strip cartoonist. Mm -hmm. well, and, those and, you know, and, and, that was all the all the comic guys wanted to be comic strip guys, and all the comic strip guys wanted to be illustrators, and all the illustrators wanted to be fine artists. Like everybody wanted right. to jump to the next thing, you know. Um, but I don't meet many young people who say they want to do comic strips. No, no, that's super rare. Um, I mean, it could just be that you know it's uh, kind of I don't want to say it's dying off, but it's hard to access. Right. 
And I mean, you could maybe even Mimi could talk about how uh, important web comics are now, but I don't think that they connect in the same way. You know, the, like wanting to be a strip artist and being a web comic artist, I don't think, or the uh, I don't think that's a straight line. Well, I think the 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 thing is that the guys who did the strips, uh, and you were working for the newspaper. The newspaper gave that form of cartooning legitimacy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Where comic books are always like, you're a juvenile delinquent. That's, that's garbage. People didn't say the comic strips are garbage. They said mm -hmm. comic books were garbage. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They never said Pogo was garbage. They never said Dick Tracy was garbage or Prince Valiant was garbage. They always said comic books was garbage. Mm -hmm. So it's like comic strips because they were in the paper and bought by adults because kids didn't buy papers adults bought the papers and then it was handed from the adult to the kid right the paper That's was on the coffee table right yeah. right yeah it's very different now yeah um well we're kind of getting to the end of the rope here but um we could keep talking forever mike and i don't want to cut you off i don't know if you want to show what you're working on tonight uh we can save that for wednesday uh, I was, I was reading my script, uh, for the next, um, week of the Phantom because I had to, so I hadn't really gotten anything going, uh, going yet. Um, mm -hmm. but maybe we can do that in the next one. We can actually draw something. Yeah. And again, if you guys have topics or things that you want to see, or, uh, you would like to see discussed, uh, you know, you can always, uh shoot us questions ahead of time because then it gives me or Jamar a chance to do something like pull out that that uh, mm -hmm. old uh, color. Yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. a lot of things, a lot of things in my career have changed uh, the past 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like the first half is very distinct in one way because it was very manual. And now I have to, I am employing a lot of technology to do the same job, which complicates it in a way. Mm -hmm. but like I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, if you're a commercial artist, you don't really get to dictate that stuff. You just have to learn how to ad adapt to that. Or you say, I don't want to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be willing to suffer whatever consequence comes from that. Mm -hmm. you know, like Disney wants you to work on a digital tablet because then they have it as a digital format, which is much more manipulative. They can take it and make a bread spread. You know, I did some Star Wars book, um, and everything had to be on these layers. So they could take this C3PO and this R2D2 and they could put it on a bread spread layer. They're not gonna pay me any more for it. <laughs> right. 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 You, did, you did the deed already. Right. Right. But if I wanted to do that job, I had no choice but to do it the way that they wanted me to give it to them. Right. Right. Oh, draw online, draw a line now, Jamar. I want to. Uh, Amani, hey Amani, good to see you. Says I'd like to see Jamar draw online, and this is the second second time Amani's asked for that. Uh, our next one, where it says Mike and I, I'll get my rig set up and we'll do some drawing online. I'm not I afraid. Have, you have to figure out how to do this so I can actually show my board. Uh, we might have to like maybe add another camera or like do a phone thing pointed over your we'll figure it out okay. we'll do some experimenting 
Um, but yeah, I want to wrap this up. Guys, thanks so much for hanging out with us. I have a couple of things to go over before we log off. Um, a big stupid dookie shout out to our sponsors, Clip Studio Paint. Let me find my the John here. Where's my John? John Studio Paint. <laughs> Clip Studio <laughs> Paint. And over on our uh, Pencil to Pencil Facebook uh, page, uh, we're running a contest. All you have to do is like and follow us. And in that post, um, write a comment on what you would do with a free copy of Clip Studio Paint Pro. And we will give a copy next Wednesday, right? Um, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it live. That'll be great. Live. So, yeah, yeah. I have two licenses to give out, so that'll be really fun. Um, also, I want to talk about some upcoming guests. Uh, we're locking some things down, um, and we're really excited about some of the people we have lined up. Um, uh, coming up, uh, you want to talk about Cheeks real quick, Mike? Uh, so we're going to have Sean Galloway. I talked to him. I've known, actually, I've known Sean from <laughs> way back in the day, in the early 2000s, when he was, uh, was just fan like everybody else, posting his cool drawings on this old forum called The Drawing Room. Yes. Which used to have a ton of people on it, like Shane Glines and me and Alberto Ruiz and Paul Ravoche. It was just a ton of people um, before the internet blew up the first time. Um, mm -hmm. And Sean was one of those guys that was on there and uh, posting his stuff. And he's a great example I like to use because here's a guy who was very passionate. Um, and then because he was posting and sharing, people got to like his stuff. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he got to be a character designer. Yeah. Right. Now that could not have happened in the old the pre-internet days because mm -hmm. there was no way people could have just like seen his stuff like that. So that's one of the great uh I think uh, I always like that story because you know he's very passionate and he did really cool stuff. So again, do good stuff, get eyeballs on it. Mm -hmm. You don't know what kind of you know, like what happened with Howard with uh was mm -hmm. the uh, doing the um the Fresh Prince stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe Howard could talk about that next time we're, we're on. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's a great example of just the power of and the, the reach of the internet can really open up amazing uh, opportunities for us if you use them, right? If you put yourself out there. Um, and also uh, a guest coming up is going to be a, a really old friend of mine and a college buddy, uh, Muse Brooker who is a stop motion uh, animator and director uh, who is out in California. And he's, if you saw something in stop motion in the past 20 years, he probably had a hand in it. Uh, he worked on Robot Chicken. He was the, he worked for the Chiodo Brothers on the Elf movie and did, did the Norwal and the little, like the puffins and stuff. Like he's been around for a long time and he's a very humble guy and doesn't do a lot of camera time. He's behind the camera, but he'll be on talking about a very uh, a kind of like a dark corner of animation. People don't talk about stop motion and it's such a tried and true area of, of uh, art that is, you know, luckily it's still living on. We just watched uh, um, Missing Link last night. Oh wow, that was stop. Well, it was beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. It's just amazing what they can do with stop motion. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're going to have Musei on soon. And, you know, more to come. Uh, I like to say, and this might sound really weird, uh, I've been calling myself the Black Kevin Bacon for a long time. Because, and I say this, and this isn't a, this isn't, you know, a brag, but I think between, you know, myself and Mike and Brett and, you know, some of the other people that we know, we kind of, know most of the people in the business so it should it sh we should have some really high quality guests coming up and i hope you tune in to um see what we're up to so thanks so much yeah, yeah. thanks for everybody for joining and uh, again please write and give us your feedback uh, ask us questions because then it gives us a little bit of time to do prep for the next show yes want to know some mm -hmm. processing thing you want to know some technical question you want to know um, cause that's, we're, we're both really into that whole technical process of doing all this too. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Mike, where can people find you online? You find me on uh, draw mainly on Instagram. Uh, 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 you can find me, uh, on Twitter, uh, and you can find me on Facebook, Mike Manley. And um, in your dreams. Right. Right. <laughs> a, a beautiful sparkling man in your dreams. <laughs> So shivery. Uh, yeah, and uh, and my blog, which is I need to update, but uh, I have like 2005. I started my blog, so there's a lot. It's like deep, very very deep mm -hmm. blog uh, uh, at drawman.blogspot.com, and uh, uh, so you you can find me find me there or find me here. Very cool, and yeah, I suggest you go and read Mike's blog because it even goes through his entire journey of going back to school, uh, which is yeah. so amazing. It's, it's a great, it's a great read. Um, and you can find me, your uh, internet best friend, Jamar Nicholas, uh, here on Facebook. I have a personal page that is mixed with almost everybody I know. I have, a art, I have an artist page. Um, also, uh, you can find me on the Pencil to Pencil Facebook page. I'm on Instagram at jamar.nicholas. I'm on Twitter at jamar.nicholas. And uh, hopefully I'll be in your dreams. So thank you guys so much. This was great. We will be back here live, uh, God willing, on Wednesday at, what are we doing Wednesdays at eight? At eight? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're doing like eight, right after everybody's like, <laughs> dinner and kind of getting sleepy well after the itis kicks in that's when we come on yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah we're, we're thinking like saturdays right around the same time mm -hmm. it seems to be yeah. a good time if it's too late a lot of people dip out yeah you know, gotta go to sleep mom's putting it in and uh, also, don't forget to visit us at PencilToPencil.com, where you can uh, see some of our previous podcasts. And also, we rip the audio from these and post those as well. So this is great background entertainment while you're in the studio drawing. Just put us on and put us in your ears, all right? All right. Thanks so much. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next time. See ya.